Every day, our world gets a little more connected, but a little further apart. But then, there are moments that remind us to be more human. Thank you for calling Amica Insurance. Hey, uh, I was just in an accident. Don't worry, we'll get you taken care of. At Amica, we understand that looking out for each other isn't new or groundbreaking. It's human. Amica, empathy is our best policy. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Good evening, good afternoon, good morning, whatever time of day it is where you are. Thank you so much for tuning in to Line Drive Radio this Wednesday edition, September 1st. Wow, we're out of the summer. Boys of summer turn into the boys of fall here in Major League Baseball. Yours truly, Mr. Paul Cuthbert, as always, holding down the board here in the great state of New York. And it's always time to bring my... Line Drive Radio team in on Mr. Tab Bamford in the great state of Illinois via the great city of Chicago. What's up, buddy? It is a beautiful fall day in the neighborhood. Uh, we have reached September, so cue the earth, wind, and fire. The temp has dropped from the high 90s to the low to mid 80s in Chicago. Looks and feels like fall. Cannot wait for bonfire and hoodie season to get here. Oh, yeah. I'm, here I am. I can't. I am not looking forward to shutting the pool down, buddy. Hate that. You know, right. these are the these are the struggles that uh, those with pools have to deal with. Yeah, well, well I wouldn't change it for the world because uh, I dig the change of seasons here in Nueva York. It's all good stuff. And, um, hey, you know, kids have gotten back to school here. A little peace and quiet here during the day here. Whole home studio, so I'm all for it. So um, here we are, pal. What a week it's been since last we were on the air. Um, some streaks have changed. Some streaks have just begun. And some streaks are rolling on. And we've got a little bit of a movement here in the wild card races. The divisions may be uh, just kind of panning out, as we had previously discussed. But the Dodgers now... Make it a play for it there out in the West in the National League. But lots going on. And, and where would you like to start there, pal, Mr. Mr. Tab Bamford, uh, Mr. Cigar Smoking Aficionado? Well, lordy, lordy, where do we go here? Uh, first, I, first things first, and we got a lot of current fun stuff to discuss. But one thing that I wanted to bring up at the top of this week's Line Drive Radio is we are recording this show on Wednesday morning, the 1st of September um, in 2021, which makes today the 50th anniversary of the Pittsburgh Pirates uh, putting the first full nine lineup of all minority players on the field. 
50 years ago tonight in front of a crowd of a shade over 11,000, the Pirates submitted a lineup card of Rennie Stinnett at second base, Gene Kleins in center field, Roberto Clemente, the great one, Moman in right field, Willie Stargell in left, Manny Sanguien behind the plate, Dave Cash at third, Al Oliver at first, Jackie Hernandez at short, and Doc Ellis on the bump. It was the first time in the history of Major League Baseball that a team rolled out a team that was a starting nine that was all minority. Uh, Klein, Stargell, Cash, Oliver, and Ellis were African-American. Clemente from Puerto Rico, San Guillen, and Senate from Panama, and Hernandez from Cuba. So wanted to, wanted to make sure that we got that in because it's a, an incredibly significant day uh, that I think a lot of people take for granted. Um, that a lot of people might not necessarily be aware of. Uh, the Pirates won that night against the Fighting Phils, ten uh, seven. Uh, but uh, it was a it was a big night for baseball, and we've talked throughout this year about baseball really leading the way it, from a professional sports perspective when it comes to integration. There's still a lot of work to be done, but uh, the Pirates, who at that time were the cream of the National League crop, far from the debacle that they are now, uh, rolled out a lineup that broke barriers and made history. So uh, quick on-this-date nugget for uh, for our leadoff here on Line Drive Radio. Yeah, it's great stuff. Great uh, memory here and uh, from MLB.com. I was just reading the column on it today. Uh, after the game, reporters asked Murtaugh, manager Murtaugh, if he was aware that he had just fielded an all-minority starting nine. According to the UPI story, Murtaugh responded, when it comes to making out the lineup, I'm colorblind, and my athletes know it. They don't know it because I told them, but they know it because they're familiar with their, the way I operate. Yet while members of the 1971 Pirates have their doubts that Murtaugh was oblivious to the historic implications of his lineup as he claimed to be, he didn't miss much, says former Pirates pitcher Steve Blass. Their comments in the years after the game suggest that they believe that the late skipper fielded what he felt was the best Starting nine that night. Boom. Yep. And, you know, I think we're still... The way it should always be, Tab. The way it should always be. When we're still in a place where I think more people uh, could use a little pause. uh, Or a slap across the face. Where do we begin? (laughs) Um, But, no, I, I mean, you hear those words from Danny Murtaugh. Uh, who later went on to partner with Kowalski. And uh, no, but you hear those comments and you are mindful of that he said that in 1971, uh, which was 50 years ago today, but it was also uh, a much different social environment in the United States. So um, very significant day, and I I wanted to make sure that we spent a, a moment Remembering that because it, it's something that I think more the perspective that Murtaugh had. Did you know that you just made history? No, I, I put the best guys out there and that's who they happen to be. Um, it, we talk about putting the best guys out there all the time. Um, but to answer that question the way that he did, especially when you consider and we'll talk today about how players and front offices and managers and owners answer questions. Uh, the uh, 
the way that he answered that question, I think, speaks volumes to his character and the way that the players reflected on uh, him having uh, not only the confidence to roll that lineup out there, but the, I don't even want to say cavalier, but the confidence maybe, the confidence that he didn't need to answer for doing that, that he knew that they were the best nine and he didn't care if it was making history and answer the question in a way that it should have been expected. So uh, we can all take something away from the comments, the actions, and the uh, confidence of Danny Murtaugh uh, when rolling out the first all-minority lineup 50 years ago today for the Pittsburgh Pirates. Yeah, no doubt about it. It's great stuff, and you mentioned it before, and the Major League Baseball is. It's incredibly diverse. Uh, All the league leaders, it's a melting pot, man. And it's a great mix of... uh, you know, just great, talented players from all different backgrounds uh, working together on the field to to win and lose together. And there's quite a lot of that going on in Major League Baseball as far as winning and losing and the disparities and these wild card races and the division races as well, too. But uh, good stuff to bring up there, Tab. And, yeah, I mean, look, we, we talk about it every week here at Long Drive Radio and, and all the names, uh, you know, the leaders here uh, amongst uh, all the position play, uh, position spots and, and pitching, too, as well. And, like I said, all you have to do out there is just look at the, the top leaders in the league and you see all the different names and you see where all these different guys come from. So it is great uh, that Major League Baseball has the diversity that it does. So here we are, pal. It's Wednesday, September 1st. Our last two shows have been focusing on the, uh, you know, the playoff races heating up here a little bit. And, you know, Major League Baseball, and we've talked to two, and we always bring up the schedule and, and how things swing and change a little bit. You know, my Yanks there, uh, 13-game winning streak, and now they're in the midst of a four-game losing streak. They got one more in uh, California tonight against the Angels before they come back here and uh, try and beat up the Birds a little bit, the Orioles and the Blue Jays, respectively. Um, the Phils have won five straight. You talk about we're going to talk about Juan DeFranco today too. The, the Tampa Bay Devils nine straight. I mean, there, it looks like they're going to you know run away with that division unless they have a, just a hairy uh, September coming up here. Um, that AL, uh, I mean, the National League East is getting crazy now too with the way the Mets, Phillies, and the Braves are all playing there too. So, um, man, there's a lot of places for us to start here today. Tab, I'll throw it back to you in terms of where you want to go if you want to run through the divisions here a little bit, or we can uh, kind of talk on a couple of key uh, personalities and a couple of storylines here to get going. Well, I, you know, I, let's, you know, we can kind of use some of the storylines here to kind of bounce around the standings, but, you know, you, you brought up the American League East, and last week when we talked, the swagger from my New York Yankee touting <laughs> teammate <laughs> was that they would win the division and run off into the sunset, and here yes, we are. It's still possible. Well, here we are a week later, and, yeah, your Mets have lost four straight. They've got a two-game Not bump in the wild Mets. card on Not the COVID. Mets. Well, the, the, the Yankees, you know, even with the four straight, they've got a two-game lead on the suddenly COVID-ravaged Boston Red Sox who had to pull Xander Bogarts off the field after they got word back that he had – tested positive uh the red sox are in a tough spot right now they've got like half of their roster out with COVID issues which opens the door for uh, you know the oakland athletics to make life interesting for the toronto blue jays to make things interesting 
you know, with the Yankees sliding the wrong direction here, it kind of makes things a little bit interesting. Blue Jays are six and a half back of the Yankees, but keep in mind here that the Yankees and Blue Jays play each other seven times in September. So lots, lots to go into the American League, but let's take a moment. You know, we just talked about the diverse lineup that the uh, Pirates had. Um, 20-year-old from the Dominican Republic is doing things that we've never seen in our lifetimes. Uh, Wander Franco, who we've pumped the tires of here on Line Drive Radio, the formerly now graduated out of the number one overall prospect in baseball status. Uh, last night, did his job, got on base, and that should surprise no one because that's what Wander Franco does. Tampa's won nine in a row. He's been a huge part of it. Again, 20 years old, can't celebrate his success with a, a cold one in the United States until March 1st of next year. <laughs> through last night, through Tuesday, Wander Franco has been on base in 31 consecutive games, which is the second longest in American League history for a player under the age of 21 behind Mickey Mantle's 36. So, so think about that. We're talking about a kid who just came up who is now being mentioned in the same breath as Mickey Mantle, who many consider to be one of, if not the most talented players to ever play the game. It's the fifth longest streak in the history of American National League crossover, but second longest in the American League for a player under the age of 21. Uh, The kid is rolling. He is living up to the hype. We've talked throughout this year, Paul, about players coming up with hype and living up to it and how um, impressive it is that young guys come up. You know, we talked Jared Kelnick earlier this year in Seattle. Ballyhooed top five overall prospect in baseball came up and got his, you know, what handed to him and went down and had to fix some things. And now he's come back up and he's looked a little bit more comfortable. Not everybody comes up and it's easy. This kid is making it look easy. And I think – We've talked, again, throughout this year in amazement at the Tampa Bay Rays and how they just seem to have this pipeline where they just turn it over constantly. Paul, you know, we talked earlier this year when the deal was announced, like a month into the season, Tampa traded Willie Adamas, a young shortstop, to the Milwaukee Brewers to make room for Wander Franco. Willie Adamas has, by every onlooker who's been following the Milwaukee Brewers or Major League Baseball. He was and is the catalyst for Milwaukee just grabbing the reins in the National League Central and running away with it. He's been a game changer for Milwaukee. He's a special player. And he's young. And he was a big part of the Rays going to the World Series last year. And they were happy to trade him to make room for this Uber prospect who came up. And, you know, if you take an average kid and make him live up to what Adamas has meant in Milwaukee. That's asking a lot. And this kid has just overwhelmed expectations and the expectations were through the roof. Mm -hmm. So, you know, everybody, you know, I know Tampa's got their issues with butts in the seats and having people show up for games. Um, I know that, you know, I jokingly refer to their stadium as the urinal cake by the freeway, but that hasn't changed from what I've heard. No, and they need to change that. They need to replace it because that team does too good of a job to have nobody in the seats and have such an ugly place to play in. But 
if you get a chance, if you're in Florida, if, if, if your team is playing against the Rays, watch the game and keep an eye on Wander Franco because this kid is a generational talent. We're talking on par with guys like Acuna, Soto, Tatis. He's that good. So keep an eye out. And again, doesn't turn 21 until March 1st of next year. But uh, sitting with the second longest on-base streak in American League history for a player before his 21st birthday, uh, entering Wednesday's action, he is five games back of Mickey Mantle. Pretty impressive, Paulie. Yeah, so, Tab, I'm going to ask you, um, and you may have brought this up in, in, in shows in the show past when we talked about him. You know, he debuted back in June. June 22nd was his debut, and I'm marveling here at his age, as you keep bringing up here. His background, as far as getting here, I'm always uh, astonished about the, you know, because it, it takes incredible work ethic. It takes incredible perseverance and a belief in yourself. And, you know, we talk about minorities, uh, you know, in the league and the diversity of MLB. And you see a young kid like this uh, from the Dominican Republic and, you know, now, again, mentioned with, you know, baseball greats here in terms of what he's doing and, you know, like I said, no matter where you're from or what you do, whatever you do on the field, as long as you're producing, that's how you make yourself a star and everything else. And and this kid looks like he's just going to have a, an incredible long career here just getting off the start. We wish him well that way. So what I want to ask you real quick is if you have any idea of, of, of where Wander came from, who who who, what's the program? Because I know you're familiar with some of the programs down there uh, in Latin America that get these kids to the States. So what's Wander's background story here real quick again, if you can? if you remember what it is in terms of him getting to Tampa Bay and getting this opportunity and him running with it. Yeah. I mean, look again, I think what's unique about any kid that comes up at this stage in the game is we have to place this in the context of the world that we're living in right now. So back in early July of 2017, the Rays signed Wander Franco out of the Dominican Republic for one of the largest international free agent deals that they had ever signed. They gave him almost $4 million, $3.85 million. He was the number one player by everyone's estimation in the international prospect crop in 2017. Um, switch hitter, shortstop, obviously now we've seen the power, we've seen the speed, we've seen the defense. He, he was identified as a five-tool guy, and the Rays were able to get him because of their tremendous international scouting group. But let's look beyond that. We've talked a lot this year about what it means for young guys, 16, 17, 18 years old, to sign, play you know, Dominican Summer League ball as a, what would be a high school junior in the United States and then come over to the U.S. and start making that run. This is a kid that was identified from the jump as being a potential superstar. He, that contract that he got from the race says, we are signing a superstar. You know, we've talked about Jason Dominguez with the Yankees getting a fat check. Teams don't give out three and a half, four, five million dollar signing bonuses because they've got a limited pool of resources for an entire international signing period. And so for the Rays to commit like that, this kid is clearly identified right out of the gate as a superstar. You know, he's had family members, uh, his uncle Eric Ibar played in the majors for a number of years. So the bloodlines were there, but everyone looked at this kid and said, he's a complete player. He's everything that you would ever want. 
But then let's take it a step further. So he signs in 17, starts blowing up the rankings in 18 and 19. 19, he's basically identified as the next one, the guy. We're watching Acuna, we're watching Soto in 19. We're seeing what these young guys, Tatis is starting to blow up the world. He's next. He's the number one guy. And then 2020 happens. And a 19-year-old, identified by everyone as the next one, is at home. Because there's no minor league baseball last year. Mm -hmm. And so for him to come back this year and look like he didn't miss a beat, and obviously club with elite prospects like him found ways to get them work in Arizona. And there were things that they did to make sure that the elite next generation guys that were on the cusp of making the jump weren't just sitting at home twiddling their thumbs like some lower level prospects might have been or thrown in pickup games like we've talked about. But, you know, to come back and dominate minor league baseball for a couple months this year. And then have the Rays make the bold step of bolstering their bullpen and trading a really good and incredibly popular player in Willie Adamas to make room for him was a bold statement. You know, they could have moved Adamas to second base. They could have moved him to the outfield. They could have found a way to keep him. But they said, we're going to clear the deck and we're going to hand this kid shortstop for the next five to seven years. Uh, as long as they can keep him, you know, it'd be great if a team like Tampa could actually lock a kid up for life and have somebody like Evan Longoria did spend the majority of his career down there. But unfortunately, they have not had that history. But there's a kid that came in with the hype, with the expectations, did nothing but back it up along the way, had the pause in being able to play what you would traditionally consider a competitive minor league slate last year. Um, and came back and didn't miss a beat this year, and now he's making it look easy at the major league level. And it's amazing that any young kid this year is able to pick it up where they left off at the end of 19 and make it look easy at any level. But to come into Major League Baseball with those expectations and just shrug them off and do your thing is really breathtaking. So, um, you know, I, I want to see it keep going. I, I love records being broken. You know, we we spent time talking about Miguel Cabrera getting to 500 home runs, um, but to have a young guy doing something at this age just sets the table for what's possible when he gets comfortable. And he looks comfortable now, but he's young, <laughs> and pitchers are going to adjust. And not every night's like three for three either. Mm -hmm. But what happens when he gets comfortable? And you know, let's be honest, what happens when he finishes puberty? He's 20. Yeah, like this is a kid that's still figuring his body out and filling everything out. So. Uh, you know, switch hitting shortstop that does the things that he does don't come along very often, and Tampa has a really dang good one. And it's exciting to see where the future is going to take him because he is absolutely going to be a superstar. Yeah, and and for those like me that pay attention to what you read, you started buying his baseball cards a couple years ago because <laughs> you got to pay for the kids to go to college somehow. There you go, baby. Yeah, hopefully he stays healthy. It'll be great to see him in the playoffs. Um, one way or the other here, and that's where it's going to really count as well, too. But uh, a great story this season. Great story, obviously, the last couple of months. And also noting, like I said, you, you break up the pause last year in, in terms of the, you know, no uh, minor league play and, and, and keeping it going. So, again, just a credit to his his work ethic and, and, and taking advantage. You know, you get an opportunity 
Um, laid to rest. You, you talk about the moves there that uh, Tampa made and the, you know, maybe the controversial uh, trade there and stuff. But it's all worked out for them. And, and there they are, sitting on top of the American League East. As my, Lanky, my Yankees now look up to them eight games behind. So my division dream is, is dwindling a little bit here. But um, there's still baseball left here, buddy. For well, the look, to get it done. There's still time left for your Yankees. Your Yankees would be doing the math off the top of my head here. One game, a half game behind the White Sox in the Central. They'd be two games behind the Astros in the West. So they would be on the verge of winning the other two divisions in the American League. So I think what you're seeing is you have elite teams in the American League, the Yankees, the White Sox, the Astros, I think the A's are you know, on the fringes of that conversation, the Red Sox have the ability to be if they're healthy, which the COVID running through them is making that interesting. But you've got this group of teams that are good, that are going to be a nightmare to play in the playoffs. And then you consider with what I just said, the Yankees, two games back of the Astros, a half game back of the White Sox, are eight games back of the Rays. The Rays have pulled away from the field in the American League. Like we're talking about, you know, do, does Toronto have a, a chance? And most people would say no with a six-and-a-half game gap starting September of catching the Yankees. Um, do the A's have a chance of catching the Astros? They're five games back. Most people would say that's nearly insurmountable. It's happened. But the Rays have a six-game lead on the rest of the field in the American League. They've won nine straight. And like I said, Franco's just getting used to this. So, um, so he, I think the, the Rays are a great story. You know, the big headline with them is Franco, but their pitching continues to get it done, even though many people have never heard of anybody that they're putting out on the mound. Um, and, you know, I think the other big headlines in the American League, obviously we mentioned the Red Sox having their COVID issues right now, but the other one that I wanted to touch on real quick was, you know, we do the good, the bad. Uh, this week we're going to do the holy crap. Uh, Salvador Perez in Kansas City, the season's not going the way that the Royals wanted Which to. Which is a shame, you know, with the story yeah. you're about to bring up here, unfortunately. Well, and, and you know, we talk about Wander Franco. One of the next guys in line here, Bobby Witt Jr., is coming in Kansas City, and they've got a, a stable of young arms coming. They're going to be a handful for the White Sox soon, much like the Detroit Tigers. But Salvi Perez, the pride of Venezuela, is having one of the finest offensive seasons that any catcher ever has. Uh, 38 home runs, 94 runs batted in at the end of August for a guy who has been on the field for 130 games, the majority of those behind the plate. 856 OPS, 270. And this is, an, again, we're in a day and age where batting average has been poo-pooed and you know, kind of thrown aside here. He's betting 275. Um, you know, the on base 315 is pretty good for a catcher. It's not as money Grandal, but Grandal's hitting about 70 points lower than Perez. But those 38 home runs are closing on the most that we've ever seen out of the catching position. Uh, he's already got the American League record. He homered in five straight. Uh, had 
you know, maybe the greatest offensive month of August that any catcher's ever put together for one calendar month. Uh, this is a guy that's doing really incredible stuff. He's got five gold gloves at home. We've talked about Yadier Molina being likely a, a Hall of Famer when he calls it a career. So if he's got one year left, which he announced earlier, uh, you know, six years from now, I think a lot of people expect Yadier Molina to hear his name called for Cooperstown. That's a whole other argument that we can have in the winter. Uh, but I think, you know, you're looking at what Salvi Perez is doing, and he's making a strong case that maybe Cooperstown isn't out of the realm of possibilities for him. But, man, he, when he was announced in the home run derby, I think a lot of people are like, a catcher? <laughs> really? The people who said that don't watch a lot of Kansas City baseball. This dude has some of the highest exit velocity of anybody, not just catchers, anybody. And he's putting – if we've talked about this. If Shohei Otani didn't exist, how would – the conversations about awards in the American League be different. I think Salvi Perez and Vladdy Guerrero, you'd have a real heated argument for which one was the MVP in the American League this year if Shohei Otani didn't exist. Yeah, no, um, great point. But, man, 30, 38 jacks and 94 runs batted in, 271 total bases before September begins for an everyday catcher is really amazing. Yeah, you know, and he's 31, and he's 6'3 for a catcher. You know, that's, I mean, I've been watching last couple of nights here with the, the Yanks and, and the Angels and the A's and stuff, and, and some of the things I was kind of focusing in is, is guys' positioning, stances, all this kind of stuff, too. And when you look at, you know, even the catcher position, too, and, um, you know, these big guys dropping on their knees like that, that's just a ton of body weight that you got to bring up and down, up and down, inning, uh, you know, inning in and inning out. You know, you're you're obviously mentally one of the smartest guys. You hope on the team, obviously working with all the different pitches that you're dealing with, starters and everything else, and then getting well, up. And and the, and, and then, and, but keep in mind, though, that's a great point. Real quick to interject here, he's working with a young pitching staff mm-hmm. that's had a lot of guys come and go. It, this isn't like you know catching for the White Sox where you've had six or seven guys, but the main five have been the main five for most of this year. I mean, they've got a young pitching staff learning to do it at the major league level, which relies a hell of a lot more on the catcher mm-hmm. calling a game, communicating well with the pitcher, you know, putting together a, an educational game plan. So the task of him in Kansas City, you know, Yachty's got Wainwright, who just turned 40 yesterday. He's got John Lester. He's got a veteran group for the most part in St. Louis. What he's dealing with with a bunch of young guys that are learning on the fly here is a totally different animal. So to do what he's doing offensively, and you're right, dealing with the pitching staff is huge, but let's not ignore the fact that Kansas City is integrating a lot of young, promising arms, and there's an educational process. He's teaching as well as catching and calling an excellent game. So I just wanted to throw that in there as a a quick asterisk on the calling a game and working with the pitchers. He's working with young pitchers, which asks a lot more out of the catcher than just calling a game for a guy that you've worked with for three, five, seven, ten years. Yeah, no, I mean, it just kind of, you know, summarizes the whole thing. At age 31, his size, the mechanics, uh, the physical stuff that you have to do as a catcher just to play the position, you know, um, watch the game, be a leader on the team, uh, you know, work with the young pitching staff like you're talking about, and then at the same time getting up here and putting 38 dingers over the wall is just all around impressive, and it's uh, it's a complete package there with Perez, uh, and it is. It's unfortunate that KC's not doing a little better this year, and I don't know. Um, you you hope uh, 
You know, you look at a guy like this real quick, um, you know, at his age and where the team is at and what happens the next year or two. I'm not sure where his contract is or anything else, but I, I wonder if a guy like Perez here is either going to stick with this organization, see it through, maybe possibility year or two of this team improving, maybe getting a playoff spot, and or maybe the organization kind of lets him move on to a team that's more of a contender. It's always an interesting question. And Kansas City, in the regards of some, to a fault, have been loyal to their guys. You know, they won the World Series, and a lot of people said, okay, now burn it down. You're a small market team. We've talked about how the Rays do business. Royals, similarly, you've got Hosmer, trade him before he walks. You've got Whit Merrifield, who everyone loves. He's a tremendous player. Trade him before he walks. Um, they held on to everybody. You know, they held on to Lorenzo Cain maybe too long. They still have Whit Merrifield. Uh, they held on to Hosmer, and he walked. Um, the loyalty is a big deal. Um, has it cost them potentially adding some, you know, assets for the future? You know, it probably has. But it, it, every indication is that Salvi wants to stay in Kansas City, and Kansas City will be more than happy to pay him until he wants to hang him up. And I think that that's... That's a special thing when you talk about Yadier Molina wearing one jersey for 20 years. You know, that helps on, on the Hall of Fame resume. And so, mm -hmm. um, you know, it will be interesting. But again, with the young pitching that they've got coming, I think as a catcher, that excites you. Being able to work with really strong, dynamic, young arms. Um, and he sees what guys like Bobby Wood Jr. I mean, Bobby Wood Jr. destroyed the ball in spring training. A lot of people thought he should have been on the opening day roster, and he isn't there yet. Um but, you know, the Royals are an interesting team because they've got a lot of talent coming. You know, the question is whether or not they've got the resources to jump into the free agent market and supplement what they've got coming in the system with some free agents or via trade to try and make a jump in the division because obviously with Lindor leaving Cleveland, you look at them. You know, how long are the Indians going to be able to hang around? They keep producing pitching. Detroit's got a really good group on, on the rise here too, so... Detroit and Kansas City are kind of in the same boat right now where Miguel Cabrera's, you know, got a couple years left. He said that that's going to be it. Uh, Salvador Perez, not nearly as old as, as Miggy, but he's on the wrong side of 30. But both of them have young players that are coming that I think can bring some energy to guys on the back nine. And, uh, and so if you're, if you're a White Sox fan, you know, you should be very mindful of Detroit and Kansas City because – I think those are the teams in the next three to five that are really going to push you. And it sucks for Minnesota because I think they had their chance and they didn't make the deals that they needed to. And when they did this off season and brought in Donaldson and Simmons made the change with going to column a as the closer, everything they did this year backfired and they're sitting in last place and they had to trade Nelson Cruz and Jose Barrios out the door to try and hit the reset button and try and bring more high level assets into the organization. But yeah, I mean, I, I hope Salvi stays in Kansas City forever. I think, you know, that's he's the kind of guy that ends up with a statue out there with George Brett. And, uh, but yeah, I mean, it, what a season. I mean, to be at 38-94 at the end of September as a catcher going every day is remarkable. To have that done with 130 games played as a six foot three catcher at age 31 at the end of August is breathtaking. So, Full-blown line drive radio tip of the cap to Salvador Perez for having one hell of a season. Absolutely.
Fully agree on that, man. Great stuff. No doubt about it. All right, before we just jump over to the National League and, and what's going on over there and and everything that's happening with the Amazons, um, a couple things we're going to get into today. Um, two guys that the Yankees have just acquired um, and just watching them here in these last, uh, you know. I, I, I enjoy the West Coast games. This is something I want to talk to you about real quick, too, because we talked about this, too, in terms of the kids getting a chance to watch their teams play with the with the night schedules just pretty much across the board in the uh, MLB. And, you know, obviously, you know, the Yanks out west there in, in Oakland and, and L.A., you know, myself uh, getting a chance to watch them uh, late night here in New York. And I, I couldn't I couldn't stay up last night to watch the last night, the, the last night's game. But, uh, you know, watch the the Oakland series and the uh, the A's, uh, the Angels here. So that's one thing I want to talk about, man. That's just like just the whole thing. Like this, it's so unfortunate. I, I just don't – I mean, it was 1 o'clock in the morning. It's 12.30, 1 o'clock in the morning here in New York, you know, uh, yeah. watching a baseball game. That's one thing. The two – Rizzo and Gallo, man. Rizzo's stance and Gallo's stance are just, just – you know, honing. I was mentioned that before. Is honing in on, on you know even uh, Shohei. All these guys getting up to bat and their different stances, and um, you know how they how they approach pitchers and everything else. But man, the the jitteriness of Rizzo when he gets up there, right? And he does this. It's almost like he's he's bobbing the subtle on, pelvic thrust. Let's yeah, he's, it's it almost like it he's trying to steady himself on a boat. You know, right? Yeah. And then Gallo does this whole thing, and right before he gets into his stance, he tips his back all the way back. And then he pulls in, and they both obviously got everybody does the the hand thing and the gloves and all that stuff, yeah. and I love that crap. But man, those two guys, and it's you'd sit there and you're watching, you go, how the hell do they hit the ball? Because you know, Tab, it's all it's incredible timing, and I don't know if enough fans, you know, you can just sit there and you can eat your popcorn and drink your beer, and you're just watching the pitcher release the ball and hoping the guy swings at it. But when you hone in on the prep. Also on the pitcher who's who's about to deliver and everything else. But, man, these guys at the stands, and if, if anybody hasn't done it yet, but, man, take a look. And just guys like Voight. And all, I mean, the Yankees have great hitters, Judge, everything else. But all across the league, man, take a few seconds and just hone in on their prep right before that thing comes over the freaking plate, man. And with the speed that these guys are throwing, and I'm telling you, too, the inconsistency, and it goes for both both sides here. The inconsistency of the, the home plate is just as far as what these guys are calling. And, and like I said, I, it's both sides. But uh, I just wanted to bring that up a little bit. Maybe uh, you have a comment on that in terms of – I just love that, just watching these guys, how they prepare the stances. And Gallo and Rizzo, like I said, they just came to the Yankees and getting them watching them day in, day out, man. Those are two very unique stances, man. And they're amazing hitters. Yeah, well, and – And Rizzo can this. fly on the bases, man. Woo! Oh. <laughs> yeah, for for a big boy, he is a tremendous base runner, and I think that's something that fans in other cities are now finding out when they get to watch Javi Baez and Chris Bryant and Anthony Rizzo in other cities is one of the reasons that the Cubs were as good as they were for as long as they were was even though they only got the one championship, and it sounds ridiculous that a Cubs fan would say only one when they hadn't had one in 108 years, but we get greedy in this town. We got three Stanley Cups in six years. Um <laughs> Six NBA championships, the virtual. All 18. right, enough already. Uh, anyway, um, but how how good they are in the bases and how smart they are. And you, stolen bases might be dying, but going first to third has become the new stolen base. And you know, I'll say this: we've we wax 
poetic about coaching kids and some of these fun batting stances make it a dang nightmare to try and get kids to approach the plate well because they're like, you know, I got a left-hander on my kid's team, and he wants to have his hands down by his belt, you know, air hump in the inside corner like Rizzo. And I'm I'm like, no. Like, you're 11 years old. What, what you have to See, understand. See, you just said air hump in the plate. Now, I'm never going to be yeah. able to look at Rizzo the same way again. Rizzo sees nothing lo- wrong with a little bump and grind, Paul. Oh. But, look, when you look at some of the stances that these guys have and, you know, with the Yankees, I think so much has been made since he got to New York about the evolution of Giancarlo's stance from being eight inches closed to being six inches open to being straight up. And how he hits whether his, you know, where his front leg is aligned and how he changes things depending on the pitcher. Coaching kids coming up, what you focus on is what the player looks like at the point of attack. Mm-hmm. You know, Tony Phillips back in the day, rest in peace – had this insane batting stance where he was crouched all the way down, leaning back. You know, you look back at, like, Julio Franco with the hands way the hell up over his head. Um, you know, Jerome Walton with the Cubs back in the day was almost facing the pitcher. You've seen guys that are almost perpendicular to the plate. I used to love Bagwell and Biggio in the Astros, man. Yeah. But, but but what you have what's hard as a as a coach of kids that are coming up that are want to play high level competitive baseballs, they see these guys who are their heroes and they want to emulate them at the plate. And what you have to explain is that these guys have spent hundreds, if not thousands, of hours hitting balls off a tee, off a machine, off a, a live pitcher, different velocities. And what they have done with their batting stance. You know, you, you look at guys like Justin Turner, great professional hitter on the Dodgers, and he always has a black skid mark on his name on the back of his jersey from the pine tar because, like Gallo, he goes way back with the bet. These are all mechanisms that the players have developed over time because when you get to the point of attack, most players are going to look fairly similar. When bat meets ball, most guys are going to look fairly similar. And the bat pat, the swing path is going to be relatively comparable. You know, different sizes, different swing. But the swing path, you want it to be fairly comparable. But a guy like Rizzo starts with low hands, and when he loads, the knee comes up and the hands get into the position. Mm-hmm. Gallo starts with the bat way the heck back here. And when he loads, the knee comes up and the hands come into the slot. So you, these players... Whether, you know, it's, you know, you know, Ben Zobris looked like he had a shake weight in his hands at the plate because he was always fidgeting with his hands. <laughs> Guys have developed different mechanisms to counteract flaws in their load so that when they get to the point that they want to attack and explode through the zone, their bat's in the right place, their arms are in the right place, and they can explode. But everybody's got different issues, and we're, we're working through that with our kids now in fall ball and in practices and in the cages in the off season. is what's the flaw with your bat getting into the position and making maximum destructive contact? What, what's the issue with getting you there, and where do we need to move your hands? Do we need to move them up? Do we need to move them back? Do we need to move them down? Do you have too much of a hitch? Do you not have a hitch at all? Is your... Is your weight transfer not there? Um, 
you know, different guys do things different ways. And Rizzo, Gallo, other guys do these things to compensate for whatever might be a flaw with what they were doing to get into that appropriate load position at the time that they need to. But I've always loved watching Anthony Rizzo's approach at the plate. You get two strikes. He's one of the few guys that'll choke up a couple inches and saw it down. We've complained this entire year about guys not making those little changes with two strikes and hitting the contact and getting the ball in play. And Rizzo's always been great at that. But you bring up a great point. Watching how these guys approach it, and I talk to my middle son who's on the travel team all the time, and he'll want to bat waggle and have his hands way up in the air like Baez. And <laughs> I, asked, I had to ask him, I'm like, he wears number nine because of Javi Baez. And they said, are you going to switch to 23 because that's what he's wearing in New York? He said, no, he's a free agent. We'll see where he signs. I'm like, stop. Stop it. <laughs> hey, buddy, I used to love nine. walking up to the plate, uh, you know, my 20s softball, tossing the bat like Kent Colby, man. <laughs> oh, man, I used to love him when he's coming up to the plate. Oh, oh absolutely. But yeah, the, watching how guys prep at the plate is, is a lot of fun. And, you know, there's, it, it's an it, art form, man. It, it really yeah. is. It's, you know, and then, you know, your sight, your vision and your timing. I don't care what anybody says too. go out, find the best batting cage you can right now and stand in there with a machine that's going to lock in at 100 miles an hour that, you know, is going to go straight down the middle. You know, you're not going to have to get hit in the elbow or the shins or the head or anything else. Just feel that freaking ball whiz by you. So you take the mechanics. You take everything you talked about, too. Like I said, there's just such an art to it. Just like there's an art to pitching, there's an incredible art to being a successful hitter in Major League Baseball. And I, I mean, hell, love get, that get about the cage, game, man. Get in a cage at 70. <laughs> like, yeah, seriously. Exactly. Yeah, you're right. Like I, I, I've, got my, I've got my 10-year-old hitting in a 70 cage because he's going to 12U next year, and he'll have kids throwing in the – mid 60s you know upper 60s next year so i've got i'm taking him to a 70 cage right now and you know he's getting absolutely hosed but the point isn't like look like tony gwynn off of a 70 mile an hour pitch at 10 years old the point is get the bat speed up Mm -hmm. but you're right if you can find a cage that's north of 80 and we again insurance our lawyers have told us insurance purposes (laughs) we cannot advocate that you happy gilmore a hundred mile an hour cage uh do not take 100 to the chest it is not safe Uh, but no you're right like if you can find a, a somewhere that's got a machine that'll get it up north of 80 go in there take a couple heck see what happens and then try to feel your hands if you make contact for a day or two I uh, I made that mistake uh, before the pandemic last year. I hopped in an 80 with no gloves and a wood bat. Oh, man. And caught one clean off the barrel, and my uh, my hands were not ready for what – I mean, it felt like it was amazing because I, I caught it flush. I won't tell you about the other nine pitches I got because <laughs> uh, – well, let's just say I was offered a contract by the Pittsburgh Pirates after the <laughs> session. But that one that I caught clean – was uh, was beautiful, but the hands felt it for a couple minutes. <laughs> now batting, the Pittsburgh Pirates. <laughs> yeah. uh, they they should just put air quotes around batting whenever somebody steps to the plate. Now oh. now trying his best, number seven. Now trying his best. <laughs> 
I love it. All right, we're going to take a short break here, and then we're going to flip over to the National League. See what's happening with the Amazons. You're listening to Line Drive Radio. Thank you so much, as always. Follow us everywhere at Line Drive Radio, right here on the Revolver Podcast Network. We'll be right back. And we're back. Woo! Good times here at Line Drive Radio. Oh, man. Pittsburgh Pirates, baby. All right. We're going to swing back over. No pun intended. To the National League. Looking across the board here. As far as standings are going. Atlanta, Philly, and the Metsies. Keeping it interesting there in the East. Milwaukee, no worries there. In the Central, 10 up on the Reds. The Giants, feeling a little heat from the Dodgers there. Sweating that division lead all of a sudden. What's that, buddy? Sweating that division lead all of a sudden. All of a sudden. It it, it took till September 1st here for the Giants to feel a little heat here. But it's going good, man. Uh, The uh, wild card there. Dodgers, no no problems there right now. And they, like I said, they're they're going to make it. I think this is good. I think that this is fun. This is healthy. That the Giants and Dodgers now will will duke it out here for the division. Either of them are not going to have a problem as far as the wild card's concerned. And then you look at Cincinnati and San Diego there, uh, even there for that uh, that wild card spot there at the end there. And, and St. Louis and Philly, you know. But, but like I said, that's that's over there in the east. You got St. Louis, Philly, and, and the Metsies there, uh, you know, two and a half, two and a half, five and a half back as, as far as the wild card's concerned. But the division stuff is fun, and man, you know, all of us here in the Bronx just glancing over the wall there at Flushing. Now, uh, with all due respect, the Mets have won four in a row here, and uh, but it, it hasn't been without uh, any uh, interesting stuff off the field. But, I, I, you know, we can start there, or before we get into the Mets in depth, Tab, why don't, why don't we talk about the Phillies here a little bit, and um, Hoskins is, is done for the year, unfortunately, so... Talking about these races, why don't you take it away there and, and talk about that, how that may impact the Phillies here the rest of the way. Yeah, I mean, look, Atlanta, we, we've we talked, it looked like they were going to run away with it. And they've slid back to the pack a little bit. It feels like nobody actually wants to win the National League East. Agreed. Uh, like, there's no, dra- there's no draft lottery. Like, you can't finish second in that division, miss the playoffs, and end up with the number one pick. You better send Medi- them an email, buddy. <laughs> yeah, m- mediocre does what mediocre does. But <laughs> here we are with uh, with Atlanta sliding back to a two-and-a-half game lead on the Phillies, who have won, you know, a, a nice little, you know, five-six game run here. The, the Mets, you know, little – drama that we're going to dig into today and uh we have talked over the last few weeks about you know with Fernando Tatis Jr.'s health problems this year and then the Padres falling out of it there's been a lot of national talk is Bryce Harper emerging as a potential MVP in the National League and I think that the opportunity is squarely in front of him now with the Phillies you know climbing back into the making this thing interesting Reese Hoskins done for the year, leading home run hitter for the Phillies. Uh, if they're able to somehow get into that second wild card spot, and you're right, the Giants and Dodgers are going to fight each other to get 
wild card day off and wait for the next round. But, you know, if the Phillies can climb back into this thing, it's going to be because Bryce Harper has a really strong September. Um, because I think on paper, most people like Atlanta better than Philly, especially with the outfielders that they added at the deadline. And before the deadline, you know, two lefties, two righties, all of them have some pretty good pop. They just got Ian Anderson. There should be ace back after an extended absence. You would think that the Braves are going to have enough uh, to, to win that division. And two and a half games is not enough that they can in any way, shape, or form act comfortable with anything. But the Phillies are rolling right now. Zach Wheeler might have a case here to maybe steal the Cy Young away from Walker Bueller. Um, but Philly's going to be an interesting watch uh, because that's a team that has struggled to do anything right for extended periods here, and they streaked into September in a really good way, and they're making it interesting again. The question is, do they have enough, and can Aaron Nola put together three or four really good starts in a row for them to jump the Braves? Um, it's going to be fun to watch those two down the stretch here. Uh, it's always good when you've got big market teams that have long historic rivalries like the Braves and Phillies going at each other at the top of a division. So it, just like the American League East with the with the uh, Yankees and Red Sox, which, by the way, a Garrett Cole, Chris Sale wildcard game would be the best thing that ever happened to television. Yeah, baby. Um, but, you know, Phillies and Braves going at it down the stretch here. The Mets lurking in third. Five and a half back of Atlanta, three games behind Philly, though they have, as you said, rattled off a few in a row here. And we're going to spend some time discussing that, which is the crap show at Flushing. Um, but, yeah, I mean, the Reds were looking like they wanted a wild card berth, and then they're 5-5 five and five in their last 10, lost their last three. Cardinals have made it a little interesting, but then they cooled off. They're 5-5 five and five in their last 10. It really, Padres 4-6 and six in their last 10. It's like everyone in the National League, is six and four, five and five, four and six in their last ten. Except Milwaukee seven and three, Dodgers seven and three. And then you've got, you know, the Tom Petty's even the losers. You've got Washington at two and eight, Arizona at three and seven. I mean, even Pittsburgh's five and five in their last ten. You know, the the, the Bucks are break even in this week's uh, alliteration oh, moment no. on my drive. Get your season ticket package yeah. for next no. year, buddy. Fire up the wagon. We're going to the house. Uh, go Steelers. Um, but uh, but no, the, the whole National League is basically sitting around 500 for the last month. Milwaukee, I think, has done a really incredible job of staying on their game. We've talked about the White Sox. Put Lance Lynn on the 10-day yesterday, and then Giolito comes out of the game with a little stiffness in the hammy. The White Sox have kind of allowed themselves to slip into that third spot among the division leaders, even though on paper you'd say they maybe have the strongest team because no one's pushing them. No one's pushed Milwaukee in two and a half months, and they're not going to be pushed. They've got a 10-game lead on September 1st. No one's going to win that division but Milwaukee. But the, the question now becomes, can they stay right and continue rolling? And they have. And I think that's what makes them maybe – for me, the most impressive team in the National League is that they haven't missed a beat. The Dodgers have had their peaks and valleys. They've been dealing with the Trevor Bauer stuff all year. 
They had to go out and rent Max Scherzer for the rest of the year because Bowers nowhere to be found, nor should he be piece of crap. But you've got the Giants haven't missed a beat all year, but now they're sliding back to the pack and the Dodgers refuse to go away. Objects in the mirror may be closer than they appear if you're in San Francisco. But the National Yeast has been just a gong show from top to bottom all year. And now you've got to, that's, you know, really, I, I don't want to exclude the Mets from this, you, you know, but them. it's okay. But realistically, you've got three teams that have a, a, a legit shot at that division. And I do think that the Mets have, have the horses that if they want to go on a seven, eight game streak here, they could make it interesting. Um, but, Man, like somebody actually step up and want to win this thing because Atlanta's nine games over and it doesn't feel like it. Maybe it'll be Philly. I mean, it, as far as I'm concerned for the Phillies, it's it's right there in the month of September. Uh, they got um washed out today, but they got a Nationals tomorrow, and then they're on the road for three against Miami. All right, they got a three game set in Milwaukee. See how the Brewers play against them. They got 14 at home coming up against Colorado, the Cubs, the Orioles. And the Pirates, obviously a three-game set with the Mets, which as far as I'm concerned, you know, it's in their hands there. They take care of business. That puts the Phillies in a good position. I mean, but those four series that you just mentioned against the bottom feeders, it it feels like a layup drill for the Phillies, right? Exactly. Well, that's what I'm getting to. I mean, it's it's right here for them. And, And again, like I said, against the Mets, with 14 at home against those guys, and then you know if they play if they take if they split they take the the two out of three whatever they win the series I mean it's all right here for them then they have a three game set on the road in Atlanta again they can control their destiny here a little bit and then they end the season with three games on the road in Miami so to me the Phillies it's right here jumping Joe Girardi and the rest of these guys it's right there obviously they got to get through the injuries and everything else but man I mean look at the fourteen Colorado Chicago Cubs Baltimore Pittsburgh I mean it's right there buddy no excuses. No excuses is right, but no consistently consistency has been their M.O. Wheeler's been the only guy that's really been good the majority of the time on the mound this year. And Aaron Nola is supposed to be their homegrown Cy Young candidate, and he has not been that this year. And so you're absolutely right that the schedule lays out for the Phillies to have a, a golden opportunity. And Bryce Harper in the MVP race to take advantage of some teams that don't have a lot to play for on paper. But let's not ignore the fact the Marlins appear to be playing out the string, but they've got young guys getting their first chance and they're making impressions for next year. We we've talked at length about the Cubs, the fighting Frank Schwindels. They've got guys coming up left and right who are getting to make their major league debut. And they're going to try to make the most of that first crack at it. Pittsburgh too, Colorado as well. So, one of the dangers, at the risk of going full Archer with danger zone, but you've got young teams that are integrating young guys and getting their first crack at it, and these guys are going to be hungry and give you their best effort. The Cubs and Pirates and Rockies might look like, for the most part, AAA rosters at this point, but that doesn't mean that they're not going to fight tooth and nail to make an impression for next year so. The Phillies need to handle their business. At the end of the day, the reality is Phillies got a layup drill in front of them. They need to handle their business, and they've got a tremendous opportunity to win that division. And winning that division could land some individual hardware at the 
expensive homes of Zach Wheeler and Bryce Harper at the end of the year if they're able to handle their business and roll teams that on paper they should. Well, like I said, it's a horrible division. You know, I mean, you look at it, it's, I mean, nobody from that division is winning anything. Whoever gets into the playoff spot here, fine. But between Milwaukee, San Francisco, the Dodgers, and, you know, man, if, if Cincinnati said San Diego get in, whatever, none of these teams are beating the rest of those guys. But we've just, just joked around. Like I said, it's a horrible division. We'll see what happens. I'm telling you right now, at the end of September, if the Phillies, like I said, we might sit back here and if guys get injured and if there's COVID situations and if something that completely derails this team. But if they go through this schedule with pretty much a full squad and a full you know, pitching staff and everything, and they come out and lose this on their own merits, too bad. No excuses, baby. Yep. Is what it is. It, but this is, it, this is, this is, this it's, is the, it's uh, there for them. This is the National League East, right? I mean, look at the, look at Atlanta this here a, in the beginning of the year. This is a division that was built for the Dallas Cowboys to win it somehow. <laughs> you got Washington screwing everything up. New York not knowing what to do with themselves and Philly being Philly. <laughs> the Cowboys know they don't have to do nothing. They know they're going to be in the playoffs every year. Yeah, and they just have ESPN talk about them for three hours a day. Exactly. All right, so, well, there we go. There's the Phillies. We'll see what happens. And now let's swing into the New York Mets. Meet the mess. Meet the mess, yes. Not so amazing. No. Well, uh, maybe they should be on Broadway because the theater was marvelous yesterday. And the last three days have been a maybe a made for TV, and by TV I mean Comedy Central drama. Um, but man, it's 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 only Wednesday morning, and it's been a week already for the Mets. Yeah, um, you know the whole fancy look. I've I've spoken my piece as far as how I feel about the New York Mets organization on this show. And on my other show that I have, General Sports Show, which is a bit of a comedy show, we like to call it, Tab. Um, no, if it's a comedy I, show, the Mets have been great for material this well, year. Well, that's what I'm saying. I, I have a section on the show called Meet the Mets, Meet the Amazons. It's called Meet the Mets, and it's um, you should check it out. But, you know, this is this is year after year after year after year after year after year in Flushing. You know, and here you come. you got Cohen, the new ownership. I mean, I mean, you could just, you know, for the guys who do Mets podcasts, whoo. I mean, we're only going to dip into a snip of it here, and, and we do little blurbs on my other show, and I, I know you talk across the, the country and up north about uh, baseball all the time. And, you know, you get into Mets here, you got to take a deep breath. With all the money, the greatest city in the world, a brand-new ballpark, an avid, devout fan base. They're no, no doubt. They're, they're diehard fans. Uh, I always tip my cat to the, uh, the seventh line for the Mets, and they go to other ballparks and everything else. But, man, this franchise just continues to break its fans heart have been doing it since 1986 it's a gong show and uh you know just spend a couple minutes here talking about what what went down over the weekend we don't need to rehash everything um but you know i think See, he had to take a deep breath, folks. You hear that? <laughs> had to had, had to hit the cigar extra hard this morning. Uh, we got a, We got a dark Maduro this morning because we're talking Mets baseball. 
Um, let's drop this and talk about hockey for a few minutes. Oh boy, yeah, let, yeah, let's upgrade the conversation Mets to the Rangers. Or hockey, all right. Oh. Um, oh boy, no. So <laughs> yeah, we're just kind of we don't we don't even stop to breathe talking for forty five minutes, and then we go to the Mets, and there's like six deep sighs, and we're hitting a cigar three times. Um, so. If you've listened to Line Drive Radio throughout this year, followed me on Twitter, you know that one of the guys that I've enjoyed watching since he came into the big leagues a good amount is Javier Baez. And he is, without question, one of the most watchable, for good or bad, electrifying players in Major League Baseball. And uh, he's always been pretty open and honest with the media as well. And he's been willing to answer questions and this isn't like a new thing. It's been happening for a couple weeks now, but Baez, Francisco Lindor, Kevin Pillar are three of the guys that when they do something right, they stick the thumbs down up in the air. And after they won a game against the what's left of the Washington nationals, Monsoto and the temptations, um, you know, Baez and Lindor greet each other with big smiles and the big thumbs down. And that picture blew up. And after the game, a reporter, Baez, it's a home run. He's the star of the game. He gets to do the Zoom conference. And we've talked this year about the dynamic between the media and players and every sport changing and evolving over the last couple of years because you can't walk up to a guy before a game or have that interpersonal one-on-one build the relationship anymore. You're going through Zoom. So Javi's sitting there with his son wearing the eye black and the jersey, just like his old man, his adorable little boy, sitting on his lap. And somebody says, what's the thumbs down? And Javi, in a moment uh, that he'd probably love to take back, honestly answers the question. We're giving ourselves the thumbs down when we do something right as a response to the fans booing us every time we do something wrong. And the fans need to be better. Man, that didn't go well. And, you know, a couple once Twitter crucifies the man, kills the messenger, you know, Sandy Alderson, we won't even, that's a whole month of shows in the off season, the Sandy no, Alderson won't give era. won't that much time, pal. Oh. <laughs> so Sandy Alderson drops a statement, which by the way, soapbox moment, we started the show talking about, you know, the diverse starting nine 50 years ago today for the pirates. Um, pissed me off reading that statement that the New York Mets were too lazy in their half-assed statement to put the appropriate accent marks on Javi Baez's last name. He plays for your team. He's got it on his jersey. Cut and paste it off baseball reference if you don't know how to do it on the keyboard. At least spell the dude's freaking name right. When you're making him the rental that you overpaid for at the deadline, the guy that was a luxury that you didn't need, Mm -hmm. if you're going to trade one of your top prospects – For a guy, you should have bolstered your rotation. You didn't need to go rent a guy just to make your $341 million shortstop happy by renting his best friend for two months. And then the wheels fell off. Don't make him the focal point of this whole thing. But he is. Why? Because he answered the question honestly. He has not been as good as they've or the fans have wanted him to be since he got there. Or as he has wanted to be since he got there. Let's not forget he's going to be a free agent at the end of the year. And the ire of everyone at City Field yesterday 
their first and of course they're off Monday. So then you have to wait 36 hours to actually talk to the guy again. Everyone was laser focused on number 23 as the target of their displeasure. The bigger issue and the elephant in the room is that the guy that you gave 10 years and $341 million was doing it too. And this is something that the players came up with and it percolated through the clubhouse. And there's a leadership void with the Mets that no one is saying maybe this isn't a good idea. And the guy who's getting paid to be the guy who leads is doing it. Mm-hmm. There's an, I don't have to tell you, you're in New York. If you're making $30 million a year and you are identified financially and with marketing opportunities and everything else as the face of that franchise. You're the guy that's supposed to lead. You're getting paid to lead. You don't get $30 million to be a really good shortstop. You get $30 million to lead and to win. And Lindor hasn't lived up to that. And when Steve Cohn blasted him a few weeks ago, Lindor stepped to the mic and said, he's right. We haven't been good enough, but this time it was Baez who had to answer the question. And yesterday before the first game of the doubleheader, Lindor and Baez both stepped to the mic and we're very transparent and said, look, if we aggravated people, that wasn't our intent. We're sorry. We just want to win games. We need to be together. You saw stuff on Twitter from Pilar on Sunday night, from Marcus Stroman on Sunday night. Baez yesterday before the game started saying we need to be together. If this rubs somebody the wrong way, sorry. You know, Different teams have different stuff, whether it's rubbing their helmet or flexing or whatever, where they're indicating stuff. They've got their little thing that they, you know, hand wave to the people at home, uh, but making sure that the dugout knows. And sometimes it has to do with what pitch the guy threw that you hit. Sometimes it has to do with, you know, just being excited. And this is our handshake of choice, whatever. But the Mets went with the thumbs down. Was it appropriate? I don't think, I think they could have done something better, but it's what they did. I don't think that fans should be that pissed about it. I don't think that the players should have been as pissed about getting booed because guess what? Pay, people are paying a lot of money. Mets ch- tickets ain't cheap. You know, this isn't Tampa where you can get like five for 25 kind of a thing. It's an expensive proposition to go to a baseball game. The fans are going through a lot with the COVID protocols at the stadium. If they want to air their displeasure with you being a terrible team for the last month and a half, they got every right to do that. And they did. Players didn't like it. Baez ended up being the guy that wore it, and he didn't start the game. He didn't start the first game of the doubleheader, which, by the way, if we go into the whole making up a game from April and starting with a guy on second base and having the guy on second base be your catcher who's now got to play left field because the left fielder who was on second base who got a hit when you started a game and three batter, two and a half batters in, you had to stop it because it was raining too hard. Why the hell do you start a game and get two and a half batters in if it was raining that hard already? whole other soapbox with the what the hell were you doing back in April but and you got a catcher in left field so Baez comes in gets hit by a pitch in his first plate appearance gets booed out of the building people have got their cardboard cutouts of the thumbs down from Facebook that's fine that's their that's their prerogative Bobby Brown doesn't need to tell him that but (laughs) when he comes up then with the tying run on second base in the ninth inning People are still giving him a little noise, but I think everyone, and I was sitting here in the suburbs of Chicago, having a cigar, watching the game on MLB Network, and everybody stopped what they were doing, closed their computers, put their phones down, because again, El Mago is one of the most electrifying guys in Major League Baseball. He is must-see TV, and you put him in that circumstance, either he's going to strike out and hear it like no one has heard it in a long time, 
in that ballpark, or he's going to come through big. He sing, he comes up with an infield single. He busts his tail out of the box, beats the throw. Conforto comes up, singles to left, where again, you've got a guy who usually behind the plate playing left field because of the trades and the circumstances around the current construction of the Marlins roster. Baez is going first to third because, as, as we talked about a few minutes ago, great base runner like Rizzo and Bryant. The Cubs did that so well, and Baez is as good as it gets. And when Alfaro, poor kid, catcher playing left field, bobbles it a little bit, Baez is going hell-bent for election to score the game-winning run, to walk it off. And he, he, I know the catcher didn't catch the ball, but he beat the throw. Great slide because that's what Javi does. And that place went crazy. And he got mobbed by his teammates. And lost in the shuffle was he's got a big diamond earring that fell out while he was getting mobbed by <gasps> his teammates. Oh, no. Couldn't find it. Between games, the grounds crew's out there digging through the blades of grass. Who joins the grounds crew to go look for Javi's three-carat stud? Sandy Alderson. Uh, because he didn't have another statement to write spelling players' names wrong. You freaking debacle of a oh, team president. A joke. Um, you know, maybe the Rangers will hire him in a couple of years and he can have a nice oh, stick with stop. your boy. Oh, uh, but, uh, but you know, and then he came out for the second game and the camera guy for SY to his credit says, hey, do you find your earring? He said, I found the back, but we're probably going to need a metal detector because it probably got stepped on. This is the Javi Baez experience. And then he scores from first again in the second game of the doubleheader. The Javi Baez experience is this. He's an emotional guy who answers questions, wears his heart on his sleeve, gives you everything that he has for good and bad. You know, that we, we joked, I think, off the air last week about that slow-mo clip of him missing a curveball by about seven feet. He was fully wrapped around trying to get ready for a second swing before the thing actually got to the plate. Classic, though. That's a great highlight. <laughs> but 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 this is what he is. And people are like, he just cost himself a ton of money by op- shooting his mouth off. At the end of the day, a 30-plus home run shortstop that plays gold glove caliber defense and does the things that only Javi can is going to get a pretty good payday. Teams are going to line up for him because he leads the league in strikeouts, but then you watch him score from first on a single to left, and you're like, okay. And you know what? You watch that broadcast on SNY and they go to the fan reaction and you've got everybody out there laughing, crying, mouth, jaw dragging on the floor with their thumbs up. Because that Stupid is the hobby experience. <laughs> that, that's the hobby experience, man. And we watched it for years in Chicago. For good or bad, wow. he is electrifying. He is El Mago. Um but, yeah, I mean, we could literally rattle off a month worth of shows on what the state of affairs is with the Mets, but I think my two We've cents coming out of We've got better things to do in our lives. Yes, we do. Uh, we have the Pittsburgh Pirates to talk yes! about. All that they are. But, no, I mean, th- this is exactly – the Mets have more issues than Sports Illustrated, and the elephant in the room is that they need to deal with their $341 million man underperforming and happily throwing the thumbs down up in the air with Hobby and thinking that that's a thing. Because at the end of the season, Hobby will go get paid somewhere else, and you've got 10 more years of Francisco Lindor. And I think that Alderson's got, I mean, he's got to figure out what he's doing with his front office after he had to fire everybody at the beginning of the season for either Beltran being a cheater or, you know, his GM being a serial sexual harasser. Um, 
but you know, again, the thumbs down, you know, maybe fan appreciation day, bobblehead will be Mr. Met giving the finger to the fans this year. I think that um, guy just got fired too. Well, yeah, well, they, you know, didn't release a statement calling him out. Uh, in fact, the statement that they released about Baez and Lindor was stronger than the statement that they released about their GM being a serial sexual harasser. So who knows? I'm talking about Mets Mr. Actually. Met. I mean, the Mets don't, the Met, it's what you care about the when Met you mascot, care about it. He got in some trouble too. Oh, what a, what a show. What a gong show. Um, but yeah, thus is. The Mets, and here they are five and a half back with a winning streak going into September and an outside shot. I mean, they're 13 games over 500 at home, 15 under away. But, you know, we talked about the Phillies and Braves having to handle their business. The Mets are not out of it. And, it, you know, it's a shame that Jacob deGrom has been out as long as he has been because he's he's a special talent when he takes the ball. Every five days. Well, that should be a but, that that should be a Netflix murder mystery type uh, docu series as far as the uh, New York Mets training camp uh, training staff over the last twenty years. And these the fact that they they can't the keep anybody the, on the field. The fact that the last time they kept everybody out there for one hundred and sixty two games was when cocaine was the uh, there you go, preferred. Baby. You said it, not me. And I version of tussing with the Mets. Uh, yeah, I mean the. ESPN's has got a docu series coming out on the '86 Mets, and that that'll be not suitable for children. Let me tell you. Yes, but right, uh, but hey, here we are. You're, it's September 1st, and your New York Mets are five and a half back, and Javi Baez has been the goat and the hero within two days. They wanted him. They wanted him. They, Keith Olbermann wanted him DFA'd. Keith, he should go back to tweeting yeah. about dogs. Yeah, yeah, he uh, he needs to. Yeah. Anyway, uh, we lost but, him a long, long time ago. Yeah, you know, but but look, you've got you got Mad Dog Russo, uh, whose volume does not his volume knob is broken. It's stuck at eleven, screaming at you through the airwaves about Baez not being ready for prime time, and you got Olbermann saying that they should DFA the guy. And then he comes out and wins the game scoring from first, and the place loses its mind. This is the Javi Baez experience, and nothing is more fitting for the 2021 New York Mets than the last three days in the life and world of Javier Baez. Yep. Who would have thought? Poor Mets fans. I have no sympathy. Who would have thought that we'd be sitting here on September 1st talking about the roller coaster life of Javi Baez? They're a horrible franchise. Every year this happens. Something stupid happens with the Mets. Hey, look, getting back to Baez here and talking about, you know, the guys and, and you know, how you should view this and, you know, the fans, who's right here, who's wrong here in terms of this. Look, um, I'll take this from the New York Post, uh, their article after this, you know, what you were talking about, Baez there, and and uh, them, them going crazy after, you know, beating him up there and stuff like that. Uh, Reggie Jackson, who was never one to, uh, you know, have short words here in New York and had enough of his controversy and and things that he used to say and stuff. But uh, who, who tried to beat the hell out of his manager, by the way? But go yes, on, it's okay. Hey, you got to win. You, you, it's all about winning. It's about winning. It's okay. Damn, yeah. you know. But uh, the great Reggie Jackson once said, "If you have a bat in your hands, you can change the story." And that's what it all comes down to, man. Just shut up that's and ba- play. I mean, that's baseball. Baby. Yeah, it, it really is. You know, go strike out twelve. You know, yeah. be a clutch hitter and. You know, but this is, you know, the fan base is 
we all get into it. You know, me, me, myself as a fan, I try. Look, I have fun with the. I got nothing to lose. We've won so many World Series. It's just, you know, losing here in a few years every now and again is not a big deal for us because you know my legs are still tired from the last parade. But you know, the rest of these organizations. It's been a few years. You might want to get I that. I know, check. but it's look. It's it's going <laughs> to happen again here this year. So don't worry about it. Well, um, you know what? Maybe Yankees fans just need to <laughs> simmer down. And Never. and wait for you know next week's line drive radio when you will have the mic for an extended period of time as we celebrate a midweek midday Hall of Fame induction ceremony in which the captain himself finally finds his okay. from a baseball perspective final resting place in the hallowed halls of Cooperstown. Derek Jeter inducted next week uh, with Larry Walker, Marvin Miller, and Ted Simmons. Ted Simmons way overdue. Marvin Miller way overdue. It's a great cast. Um, uh, but, yeah, nobody nobody fresh for this year, but we get the ceremony for last year, and Jeets gets to be the, the cue ball captain that he is. Oh, by the way, Mets fans loathe. Oh, We're yeah. Best players in ball, one of the most decent guys in the game. Talk about a guy who just shuts up and, and, and takes care of business. And the Met fans just, well, he, you know, he crushed them over these. But they can't stand them. Shut up! Yeah. Anyway, uh, you know. See, uh, see, uh, see another deep breath. Uh, it's the Mets. It's just they're exasperating. We, we need a, we need a, a cleansing moment here as we move away from the Mets. Maybe a shower. Um, <laughs> you know, I got the poo on me. Uh, but uh, yeah, meet the Mets. Uh, I think it, it. I think it. It, it will close the Mets conversation with this. The fun thing about baseball when you have suspended games, the stats go back to the day that the game started. So. If the guy on, so Taiwan Walker started the game for the Mets. There's a runner on second base. Again, catcher pinch running for left fielder. Catcher playing left field because left fielder been traded. Um, and it was a 2-0 count on the batter when they pulled the plug in the game. Again, the third batter of the game. Why they started the dang thing is a whole other conversation. But if Taiwan Walker had thrown two balls and walked the leadoff hitter of the game, that walk would have counted on Marcus Stroman's record back in April. If the runner on second had scored, that run would have gone back on Marcus Stroman's ledger on April 11th. And the fun fact that I'll leave you with, Javi Baez scored the game-winning run on April 11th for the New York Mets. Javi Baez scored the game-winning run on April 11th for the Chicago Cubs. So Baez is now on a short list, an incredible company of I don't know how many people who scored the game-winning run in two games on the same day for statistical purposes. Look at that. See? That's why you got to tune in here, folks, at LDR for that kind of stuff. The great Tab Bamford. In five years, kids will look at baseball reference and go back and look at box scores on April 11th and be like, how the hell did that happen? And we'll be like, give it five years. We cloned him. Because <laughs> oh, what man. we need is two more Javi Baez's running around Major League Baseball right now. You know, sliding their way into people's hearts. <laughs> You know, there's a couple. Of, there's a couple of halfway decent players on the Mets too. They get buried behind all this stuff, unfortunately. Uh, you know, uh, you, you see a kid like, uh, well, he's not a kid anymore, but a guy like Michael Conforto had a good couple games here and stuff like that. I mean, 
you know, the whole fiasco of this is everything off the field and the money and the just the nonsense. But like I said, I would just repeat this. Uh, it's unfortunate, but this is the the New York Mets as a franchise. I don't care who's running it. It'll just never change. And yes, look and out for they, that documentary they, on the 86 Mex because then you're yeah. going to get sick to your stomach and then you're going to have to backpedal to the fact that it was 1969. Well, that was a damn decent, you know, baseball team. I know, yeah. I know, it's, I know it's hurts the Chicago fans. I understand that. It's Cubbies. And, but. and yesterday was, sadly, the one-year anniversary of Tom Seaver passing away also. Yes. Um, speaking of the 69 uh, Mets, he wasn't, I don't think, there yet. They were the Amazings. The only amazings. Yeah, Everything don't, best as those don't, guys, don't. nothing. As a Cubs fan, I have PTSD from my mom living through 1969. I know you do. As a Cubs fan. Um, but no, I think, again, when throughout this year, uh, we've talked about how and why teams step up and how and why teams do what they do. We've talked about the Giants and the fact that Crawford and Posey are leaders. And the Dodgers have... A great manager. They've got guys like Kershaw. Now they've got Scherzer, Mookie Betts, Justin Turner, guys that are leaders. We look at Atlanta and Freddie Freeman, leader. You look at Philadelphia, Bryce Harper, one way or the other, with his bat, it does a lot of talking. You look at Houston, you've got Altuve, Correa, guys that are leading. Bregman coming back off the injured list soon. These are guys that are leaders. The White Sox, there's absolutely no question. Everyone reveres Jose Abreu. Everybody looks up to the way that Tim Anderson's mouth and bat do the talking. You look at the Rays, and you don't know who the leader is, but they just continue to do it. The Yankees bringing in Rizzo. We've talked about it. He feels like this year's Paul O'Neill, the, the guy that brings that leadership element. These are all the teams that are in the playoff race right now. Mm-hmm. What do the Mets not have? An identified leader. 100% right. And it needs to be the guy that's making $341 million. It needs to be the guy that has no problem talking to microphones when the home run derby is coming up and he wants to win that. It needs to be the ace who's got multiple Cy Young awards at home. The guys that play well and get paid the most need to lead, but somebody in that room needs to step up and take that team by the horns. And what we've seen over the – and maybe injuries play a role. DeGrom has been on the shelf for two months. Lindor missed five or six weeks. Someone has to grab the bull by the horns in that organization. And what we've seen is Sandy Alderson's not going to do it. And it starts at the top. It trickles down. And what's trickling down is crap with the Mets right now. And maybe they need to start at the top of the fountain with change this offseason. But you look around the league and the teams that have culture – that pushes excellence. It's not, it's some people think that Al Davis just win baby is everything in professional sports. Winning is the salve for many ills in professional sports, but culture goes a lot further than winning and losing. And teams can have a good culture and grow that culture. And we talked about Salvador Perez sticking in Kansas city after this year. Mm-hmm. And we've talked about what Yadi Molina's been through with the ups and downs in St. Louis. Culture wins. And right now the Mets do not have a culture that is winning. And that's something that they need to address in the offseason, whether that ends at the end of September or it ends 
after something special in October, they need to fix that. Yep, they need a guy like David Wright. We're going to put our milk crate back in the pile to climb over and get off our soapbox and move on. We are definitely going to move on. As always here, before we shut down the concession stands, turn the lights off, turn the sprinklers on, send out the guys with the metal detectors looking for uh, Baez's diamond earring. Um, We always do tabs, fantasy, and on of the week. It's a tab. Tell us who we're winning with this week. Well, we're gonna we're gonna go to the CDC for a ruling here, um, but with everything that's going on in Boston and guys getting slapped on the COVID list, literally like every hour at this point, we've got an opportunity here for one of the young guys coming up with the Red Sox to elevate his game and establish himself and make a dent in the playoff race. Uh, and so this week's Line Drive Radio Fantasy out of the week is Bobby Dahlbeck, first baseman in Boston, who over the past week is batting 444 with a 524 on base percentage, four jacks, nine runs batted in, and impressively three walks and only four strikeouts over the last week. So with the COVID outbreak, this is a kid that's going to get an enhanced opportunity in a pennant race to establish himself. He's been hot for the last week. He's only owned in 22% of Yahoo Fantasy Leagues. So if you're in one of the other 78%, Bobby Dahlbeck's available, and you're looking for a streaky guy as you get into weekly playoffs here, need to find some points in a, in a crunch here. You got guys going on COVID. You got guys getting hurt. You got guys getting waived. Um, Bobby Dahlbeck, maybe a guy gets hot at the right time and carries the Red Sox into an interesting playoff scenario and helps your fantasy squad out. So this week's line drive radio fantasy out of the week. Bobby Dahlbeck, first baseman of your fighting Boston Red Sox, as they chase the Yankees to stay relevant in the AL wildcard picture. Well, I'll say I'll say go Bobby for your fantasy stuff. I'm not going to say go Bobby as far as the Red Sox trying to catch the Yanks. So it's Paul kind will of not a, be adding a Boston Red Sox to his fantasy roster. No. No, no, no. And don't forget, folks, we're getting here towards the end of the season. About a month left and a week into October. Don't forget your PayPal accounts for all the winnings here. Tab has just been making you money, printing money for you. Don't forget, you'll be collecting. And I know a couple of guys here in New York. You know, Bobby the Butcher, Vinny the Gimp. <laughs> and I know, I know Tab's got a few buddies in Chicago, baby. Oh, I, I, the, the list. <laughs> The list Two of, of the degenerates toughest towns in the long, country, baby. <laughs> the list of degenerates is long. <laughs> oh, man, too much. Well, as always, a, just a great show. A little too much on the Mets, but hey, you know, they, they you know, what are we going to do here? Again, as I, I exasperate here, but that's the Metsies. But look, man, good stuff going on. Look, it's September. We're rolling here. I always like this time of the year. Uh, I don't like to see the summer go, but I'm with fan like uh, with Tab, like you said in the beginning of the uh, the show. Things changing a little bit. Kids getting back to school. Stay safe and healthy out there, folks. Football's going to start here. Hockey training camps going to start, and playoff baseball is on the doorstep, which is to me. And I love hockey. And I love the uh, NFL playoffs. But man, baseball playoffs, pitch per pitch, inning for inning, the chess matches. Uh, it doesn't get much better. And we're going to be here for it for Line Drive Radio. So, 
On behalf of yours truly, Mr. Paul Cuthbert, uh, thanks for listening. Don't forget to follow us everywhere at Line Drive Radio. You can find me and Tab. We're mostly on the Twitter. You get our personal accounts there. And as always, Tab, say goodbye to folks. Make sure that when you're watching your favorite team, you only give them a thumbs up. <laughs> stay warm. Stay healthy. Enjoy the games. Thanks for listening, kids. Woohoo! Line Drive Radio is out. Go play ball! At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every basket, every game, every point, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a three-pointer at the buzzer to tie the game or a player that goes two for two at the foul line. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment. It's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only. Must be present in Virginia. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.